Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here with Professor Amir Kashani of the Wilmer Eye Institute of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, where he is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology. Amir, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to both of us, which is OCT angiography, and particularly OCT angiography in its wide field form. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what OCT angiography is for those members of our audience that may be unfamiliar with it? Of course, of course. So OCT angiography is uh, one of the most recent iterations of OCT technology um, that is available both in spectral domain and swept source. Uh, and basically, the technology allows you to visualize movement of uh, particles, uh, red blood cells specifically in the tissue, um, by repeating the OCT scan multiple times, two or more times, uh, depending on the machine you're using. Uh, and basically, if you repeat that OCT scan multiple times uh, in the same section, the backscatter from it it varies if it hits a moving particle versus a non-moving particle, so that you can see red blood cells moving. And by doing that, people have been able to generate very nice maps of the capillaries and the larger vessels in the retina. And just like spectral, just like regular OCT, it's depth resolved. So you can actually look at the different layers uh, of the retinal vasculature and the superficial and the deep and the choriocapillaris and even out to the choroid nowadays with the, with the swept source devices that have deeper penetration. Uh, and it's really just changed the way I think we look at retinal vascular disease, everything from neovascularization to uh, neovascularization elsewhere in retina, uh, retinal diseases, and in choroidal neovascularization uh, and disease like AMD, it's changed the way we look at those, uh, those diseases. What are the common applications of OCTA? Uh, common applications, I think, is really any vascular disease of the retina. Uh, I mean, the ones we see most are diabetic retinopathy and uh, age-related macular degeneration. Uh, so those, you know, you can't go through a retina clinic without having a uh, you know, half dozen or more of each one of those at least. Um, and so that's really where it, where it matters most. For diabetic retinopathy, the wider field, which I think we'll talk more about today, is more relevant, uh, perhaps, because you want to look for neovascularization in some cases. Uh, but even the macular scans are very important because you want to see how much macular ischemia there is uh, to judge what the visual potential is. Uh, in uh, neovascular AMD um, and other kind of choroidal diseases, um, the application is very useful for looking at very subtle uh, areas of choroidal neovascularization that are hard to detect on fluorescein. Um, and myopic CNV is another application. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uveitic CNV is another one. Uh, I think it just it spans everything, uh, retina. So there's been increasing interest in, over the last number of years, in looking at the periphery in retinal vascular disease, particular diabetic retinopathy and vein occlusion. Can you comment on on that on on that trend? Yeah, so you know, I I think that uh, our the the knowledge base we have of those diseases um, was largely based on the so seven ETDRS fields and uh, the areas of non-perfusion uh, from those fields on either fluorescein angiography or or just the fundus photos. 
Um, and when we started doing ultra wide field and wide field floor scenes, we realized there's so much more going on in the periphery. Um, and it's, it's hard even on those ultra wide field fundus photographs and floor scenes to always tell what's going on in the periphery uh, or even in the mid periphery. Um, and sometimes the floor scene angiogram is just not something you want to do or can do on those patients. So the interest in OCT angiography and looking at the peripheral vasculature is twofold. One is we're finding out things are going on out there that we didn't realize based on either the inavailability of FA or, or the lack of you know, resolution of fundus photos. And two, um, uh, it's, it, it's showing us, I mean, it's just easier to perform, right? I mean, you don't need dye injections, uh, it's cheaper um, and it's, I think it's more cost-effective. So I think there's a twofold interest. One is just financial and common sense, you know, practicality of having a, a trained photographer to do an FA versus an OCTA. Um, two is the disease processes are more involved in the periphery than we thought. And I think that's something we're starting to realize with wider field imaging in general, OCTA specifically for vascular diseases. So uh, what are the technical requirements for wide field OCTA? Um, well, I think speed is one of the most important things. Uh, you know, the speed of systems is what limited the earlier versions of most devices uh, from creating wide field, because the faster you can scan, the higher the resolution, obviously. Um, and you need a certain, I mean, if you're going to look at capillary level changes anywhere, or you're going to look at small vascular changes, you need to have the resolution at around capillary level resolution. So, if you can't scan fast enough, um, then it's not going to help to look in the periphery because you're just moving a small field out to the periphery. Um, but now that there are, you know, 100 kilohertz systems, uh, 200 kilohertz systems, and obviously prototype versions that are much faster than that, but commercially there's 100 and 200 kilohertz systems that are available, spectral domain and swept source. Um, and so those allow eight to 12 millimeter fields with fairly good resolution uh, in the 25 micron range. Um, that will, that is really the rate limiting step. Obviously, montaging those and having, you know, kind of the software expertise to uh, put those uh, larger images together is another technical hurdle. Um, and the last technical hurdle is probably, you know, to make sure that we are accurately representing the peripheral uh, anatomy correctly. Um, and that's a little bit of a challenge, but I, I think there's still so much we can learn um, with the technology that we have that. You know, it's it's fantastic. What in terms of the number of degrees of uh, visibility? What degrees are we at? Um, we're at anywhere from uh, well, with OCTA specifically, I think we're at anywhere from you want to say thirty to forty degrees with just your eight eight millimeter scans um, to upwards of you know around hundred degrees with your twelve to to fifteen millimeter scans. Um, and then if you montage those, you're probably out in the, you know, 125, 140 degree range uh, with some of the montages. Um, so in terms of OCTA, you can get that far out reliably. There's some devices that have, you know, peripheral line scan capabilities for OCT. Um, you can kind of move a line scan. It's not really OCTA yet, but I think it's it's starting to get there um, in the in the far, far periphery. But right now you can get uh, to the mid periphery or even a little bit farther, just doing some montages. So how do you evaluate eyes and with with uh, diabetic 
retinopathy yourself? So, uh, you know, for a patient coming in for an kind of a annual screening exam, just mild non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, I will just get a OCT angiogram. Um, because that gives me information about the severity of, well, actually for any diabetic coming in, I just get an OCT angiogram of the macula for sure. Um, and because that gives me information on whether there's macular edema, which you need to know nowadays, because subclinical macular edema is, is ever present. Um, and we have to decide whether to treat it, but then you want to know how much non-perfusion there is. Uh, within the macular area, because it gives you a sense of the severity of the disease. Uh, there's tons of studies, including from our own, and we were one of the first to show this, that if you look at the central uh, capillary density in the central three or six degree, six millimeter scans, that correlates very nicely with the overall severity of diabetic retinopathy. So you get a three by three or six by six millimeter scan, and you see capillary dropout that's noticeable, you know, you should be thinking this patient may have more than more than mild or more than minimal uh, NPDR. Doesn't mean they do, but maybe they're on their way there. Um, and uh, and the other thing I do, if I have any suspicion that there's peripheral disease, uh, like neovascularization, uh, a wide field, like a 12 by 12, uh, I'll get um, pretty standard uh, on a patient that, or at least an eight by eight. Uh, to look for areas of neovascularization. There are a couple of nice studies that show if you look at 12 by 12 millimeter scans, which are commercially available now, uh, uh, centered either on the nerve or on the fovea, you can catch 90% or more of new NV uh, in patients without previously diagnosed PDR. Um, so still want to do your DFE uh, exam. You, uh, you may or may not want to consider doing a fluorescein after you get that OCTA, but really you can catch the majority of neovascular disease and diabetes um, with a, with an OCTA and a good, good examination. What about evalu evaluating the peripheral non-perfusion? Uh, are you using that as a, a decision-making tool? Uh, you mean in what sense, in terms of doing uh, like injection? Well, looking at the extent of non-perfusion to decide whether or not you're going to initiate anti-VEGF therapy, for, for instance. Um, I don't really use it in, in that way. Um, I think it's it's good to know the severity of non-perfusion uh, or the magnitude of non-perfusion. Um, but I don't think that, you know, I don't, I don't get, I still use anti-VEGF based on, you know, either the presence of neovascularization. Uh, or PDR or macular edema or severe NPDR, kind of the traditional indications. Um, I don't, I don't really try to to treat based on areas of non-perfusion. I think some people perhaps perhaps have tried to look at whether there's target benefit of targeted panretinal targeted retinal photocoagulation in the context of peripheral non-perfusion to prevent uh, neovascularization or to minimize the burden of laser treatments. Um, I'm not sure that works as well, um, you know, the, the literature is a little bit controversial. Some people say targeted peripheral uh, pan, uh, laser may be helpful. Other people say, you know, it's not effective. Um, but I think in the, con one thing I, I would like to try more of, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of in the process of doing that, is for patients who have proliferative disease um, and have areas of low-risk proliferative disease with neovascularization, and you're treating with anti-VEGF, it might be a good 
idea to use peripheral to use the OCTA to identify areas of neovascularization and treat locally around those because now you've got the anti-VEGF on board and you can locally treat neovascularization and see if that minimizes the burden of laser therapy. I don't know if there's any evidence to say that that actually works or adds benefit to either one, but it may be a way of doing targeted laser uh, or, or, or targeted treatments uh, in the way I think you suggested, but not really mainstream. I don't do it mainstream. Um, how often do you do wide field fluorescein angiography? I still find myself doing it um, often. Um, you know, if I have a suspicion that there is neovascular disease uh, or a patient who is you know, poorly controlled and severe NPDR, uh, I think there's a lot of patients out there who have severe NPDR that have proliferative disease, but we're just not detecting that subtle NV yet. Um, so if, if I, if I have a wide field OCTA available to me, I'll do it. Um, and if there's no NV on that, and I'm very suspicious, I will still do a wide field, uh, fluorescein angiogram to rule out any farther peripheral NV. You miss, don't want to miss that 10% of people that have peripheral, farther peripheral NV. Um, I think there's a role for FA. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, it's going to be banished from the face of the planet, but it, it's not cost-effective. It's hard to do relatively speaking. Uh, especially at satellites. Um, and so, you know, I think it's kind of more of a secondary resort, certainly as a first time exam for a new patient coming in one FA at baseline, you know, I, I don't think hurts just to get a, 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 a evaluation of the overall disease. But after that, you know, you're not following patients with FA anymore these days. What about vein occlusion? Um, vein occlusion, I think, falls in, in a similar category. I think it, it's a little bit easier to um, look at vein occlusions, especially if they are sectoral, like branch vein occlusions, using OCTA, because you can actually, you know, target your imaging to that area, and you don't necessarily have to get the whole periphery in view. Um, but yeah, I think in the same way, you can look for subtle neovascularization in vein occlusions. You can also see macular edema, all with one scan. Um, it's, I think it's even less necessary to do fluorescein for vein occlusions than it, it is for, for diabetes, especially if you have good wide field um, OCT angiography, because, I mean, you know where the pathology is clinically, uh, and you just want to see if there's subtle neovascularization or if there's macular edema, and or how much non-perfusion there is if you're going to do the PRP. And pediatric retina. Pediatric retina, I think, is a, uh, a blossoming field in terms of OCT angiography. There's some people who are doing really nice work um, on uh, peripheral you know, wide field OCT uh, in pediatric retina, looking at you know areas of you know where the, where's the ridge in ROP and looking at you know the development of the retina in, in early uh, in early kids. Uh, but I think that the role of OCTA in those diseases has has to be developed. I think there's definitely going to be a role there. Um, and it makes a whole lot of sense in especially pediatric retinal vascular diseases. Uh, the question is, you know, do you have systems that can actually do it um, reliably? Um, and uh, and that that I think has to be has to be worked out, but definitely an ROP uh, and, and peripheral vascular diseases in kids, I see a major application. Because again, injecting fluorescein in kids is even less ideal than injecting it in uh, in adults. What manufacturers have wide field OCTA? 
Uh, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, we use the Zeiss uh, Plex Elite uh, a lot in our group. Um, uh, there is also a Topcon system with a wider field uh, field of view, um, and uh, you know, I guess uh, I, I I'm sure there's other vendors. Um, I don't use them regularly, so I don't know. But those are the ones that I'm familiar with, uh, and you know, that's that's kind of the 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 field that I'm aware of. Certainly for FDA approval in the United States. Um, I think those are probably the only two systems that are ha have uh, FDA approval in the, in the United States for a system with OCTA capability. Well, Amir, thanks so much for your overview of this exciting topic. Um, things are changing. Yeah, they are for the better, I think. Yep. Great. Thanks for your help. Thanks, Carmen. Appreciate it.